story three of gulliver the great and other dog stories by walter a dyer this librivox recording is in the public domain story three mcginnis starting somewhere down among the precipitous andes of masonry at the end of the island the greatest street in the world chooses a route all its own quite independent of squares and right angles and runs in a northerly direction between swarming hives of business clear through the heart of the city and leaps boldly out into the country beyond sooner or later everything of worldly significance must pass up or down this great thoroughfare all sorts of people of every nationality under the sun rich and poor demagogue and statesman peddler and financier reformer and anarchist women of the demi-monde and the supermonde seven or eight miles up from the battery where the mighty way has swung somewhat to the west it spreads its broad length between brick buildings that are at once dwellings and market-places to right and left extend long rows of human ant-hills great wagons and motor-trucks and tram-cars rumble up and down the pavement far into the night and up above the street and down the ant-hill rows there dwell in conglomerate mass hate and fear and plottings and strivings and birth and death and love and the radium of human kindness one mid-forenoon in september when the bustle and roar of the great current was at its height and the tide of human life was at the flood there trotted down broadway a small piebald mongrel dog he was a wretched little adam and he did not belong there that was most evident one ear was set so far forward that it flopped over his eye and the other was disfigured by a ragged notch he was what might be called a calico dog with fox terrier blood as his chief but by no means overwhelming ingredient brownish black patches bespattered his approximately white body with no apparent attempt at arrangement his tail was crooked and long in proportion to the rest of him and seemed permanently glued between his legs his feet also were far too large but perhaps that was because he was still a puppy he pursued a wavering and inconstant course down the sidewalk timidly avoiding the feet of passing humans and occasionally hurrying sidewise in a terrified sort of way into the gutter from his neck dangled a bit of muddy string which was the only indication that he had come from somewhere in particular at the corner of one of the cross streets where a double row of the big square human ant-hills stretched down toward the west with the fire escapes like iron spider-webs along their fronts there was a congestion of traffic a big human creature of some sort stepped hastily back to avoid a collision and kicked the calico pup in the ribs the pup was surprised into a little high-pitched yelp and darted sideways into the legs of another human blindly scurrying here and there he at last extricated himself and trotted wearily down the side street here there seemed to be fewer people and the calico pup slackened his pace a bit and began sniffing at interesting-looking small objects along the way for he was very hungry he crossed timorously one or two broad streets running north and south and at length caught the smell of the river the human ant-hills began to appear smaller and less elegant as he passed along until he came to a place where the road dipped downhill a little the street here was rather dirty and the calico pup 
found one or two unsavory morsels that he considered food presently a crowd of noisy young humans spied him and setting up a yell dashed toward him in a panic the pup sped by as fast as his tired little legs would carry him his ears flopping and his eyes big with fright the young humans hurled a missile or two and gave up the chase but the pup fled on till an open door caught his eye without considering the consequences he swerved and bounded up three stone steps and into a dark hallway here a new peril assailed him there seemed to be no outlet beyond but there was an interesting smell of something to eat that whetted his curiosity if it did not embolden his heart lifting inquiring nostrils he made his way gingerly up a flight of dark narrow stairs to another hallway but there was nothing there the smell seemed to come from behind a closed door he trotted down the hall and came to the foot of another stairway he placed his forefeet on the lower step and stretched up his head sniffing noisily then a sound above startled him and he hurried back down the narrow stairs he made his way awkwardly his absurd toenails making a thumping little clatter at the foot of the stairs he gave a great sigh and started toward the door when his little heart gave a leap of terror for seated on the stone step in the doorway was a young human a very small human to be sure blocking his only way of escape the calico pup was trapped the young human was a little boy of five or six with rumpled tow-colored hair and very dirty hands and face one of his stockings had a great yawning hole in the knee and the flesh that peeped through was scratched and grimy he was not a robust little boy his blue eyes were big and sunken and his cheeks were not round and rosy as they should have been his expression was solemn in his hand he held the end of a loaf of bread from which he took an occasional bite the little boy heard the calico pup as he scrambled down the stairs and turned to see what it was the pup stood stock still in his alarm and they regarded each other suspiciously the boy thrust his bread under his jacket and the dog crouched abjectly at length the strain of the situation began to tell on the pup and he yawned tremulously ending with a little nervous whine for some reason this amused the little boy and a half smile flashed across his pale features puppy said the little boy the calico pup did not reply but he cocked his ridiculous head a trifle which brought a thin little laugh from the boy puppy dog said the little boy again and he stretched out an inviting hand this human did not look so terrible after all and the dog stood up and cocked his head over farther to one side still he did not dare advance then the little boy broke off a piece of his bread a very small piece and held it out the pup sniffed and the end of his tail wiggled a little but he had learned caution in a hard school the little boy concluded that this was a game worth while and presently he tossed his piece of bread to the pup the dog sidled suspiciously toward it sniffed at it tentatively gobbled it up and then sat up expectantly on his haunches now and then showing the end of a pink moist tongue the child was delighted he tossed another piece of bread to the pup and then another until at length he had coaxed him within reach he put out his hand but the dog ducked and jumped back 
then he broke off another piece of bread and held it out enticingly the dog cocked his head licked his chops and lifted one front foot but the child did not throw him the bread so he sidled cautiously up stretching his neck to its fullest extent until his nose touched the ambrosial dainty there seemed to be no trick about this after all and he gently took the bread and devoured it it was not long before the pup was in the little boy's lap and they were eating the rest of the bread together when the last crumb had vanished the puppy did not leap away but placed his forepaws on the child's breast and gave him a slobbery canine kiss on the cheek the child gathered him impulsively in his arms and buried his face in the dog's stiff dusty coat the compact of friendship was sealed presently the child arose still holding the dog and struggled up the stairs this time the pup did not feel so frightened he did not try to escape up two flights they went and then paused before one of the doors getting a new grip on his burden the little boy managed to turn the knob and push open the door they passed through a room that was warm and steamy and then into another which was very quiet there was a white bed in this room with a long mound under the blanket and on the pillow there was a white face very thin and still by the bedside sat a strange man wearing round black-rimmed glasses with a gold watch in his hand standing by the foot of the bed was big ferocious mrs o'brien who lived on the floor below mrs o'brien heard the little boy as he entered and turned upon him hurriedly her huge bulk bore him out into the other room and there she held him with a fiery eye tommy sweeney she whispered hoarsely didn't i tell you holy saints what have you there this is lisped tommy this is mcginnis mcginnis is it well you take mcginnis and drum him out we can't have no lousy mutts around here now where'd you find the dirty baste he comed explained tommy i want him well you can't have him we've trouble enough here without having that dirty gutter pup around underfoot run him out and she wafted tommy and mcginnis before her to the door tommy set the pup on the floor in the hallway and stood regarding him ruefully mcginnis watched him with trustful eyes his tail released slightly and trying to wag then he lifted his forefeet in a little half jump whimpered softly as puppies do tommy eyed the door for a moment rebelliously and then started toward the head of the stairs come mcginnis he commanded and the two went clumping and scraping down the bare wooden stairs at the outer door tommy paused and cast an inquiring look up and down the street mcginnis at his side fixing a gaze of pleading adoration on the child's smudgy face the coast fortunately was clear and tommy started down the street with mcginnis frisking clumsily at his heels he turned up a narrow alley that he knew and into an area behind a saloon and here tommy and mcginnis played a long game of their own devising and the pup discovered that he possessed a joyful little bark that afternoon an ambulance came and carried tommy's mother away and mrs o'brien took tommy in to live with her tommy did not like this and he had a feeling that he was not wholly welcome so he troubled mrs o'brien with his presence as little as possible 
he had great difficulty in persuading mcginnis not to follow him into the house and after supper he stole down to find the pup lying patiently in the lower hall tommy was wise beyond his years in the ways of the street in which he lived and he knew this would never do so with a piece of meat and a piece of bread he enticed mcginnis back to the area behind the saloon and then hastily retreated placing a couple of boards across the opening into the narrow alley so that mcginnis could not get out shrill and piteous protests pursued tommy on his way back to mrs o'brien's and hot tears washed little paths down his cheeks but he felt that he had acted for the best next morning tommy hastened to the rendezvous with a portion of his breakfast which he had secreted and the greeting of mcginnis was joyous beyond words there they played at their strange games all the forenoon and there mcginnis made his home for many days with his bed on a wad of excelsior in an old box in the corner of the yard sometimes a fat man in a white apron appeared at the back door of the saloon but he smiled and called tommy kiddo and did not drive mcginnis away sometimes he even threw things out that were good to eat he seemed to be an unusually kind sort of man but by and by there came a day when tommy did not appear all the forenoon mcginnis waited patiently at the barricade for his playmate and all the afternoon crying a little some of the time he was very lonely and the things the man in the white apron threw out somehow did not seem to taste so good he went to bed in his box that night with a heavy heart next day tommy did not come either nor the next nor the next and mcginnis forgot entirely that he had a joyous little bark and his tail drooped back between his legs tommy sweeney meanwhile had become technically an orphan for the white-faced woman had died quietly in a big hospital early one morning and there never had been any father in tommy's family so far as anyone knew mrs o'brien tried to explain this to tommy and succeeded in frightening him into docility a policeman came and took tommy away to a building with two green gas lamps in front of it they ascended the steps and passed into the big room where a man in a blue coat with brass buttons sat on a platform behind a desk the policeman explained about tommy to the man behind the desk who turned and pressed a button it was all rather frightful a woman in a white apron came and took tommy upstairs she washed his face and hands and combed his hair and told him not to cry by and by the woman came again and took tommy downstairs there was a man waiting for him there a youngish sort of man with a black moustache the man smiled at tommy what is your name young man he asked tommy thweeney well you're going with me tommy said the man i'm going to take you to a place where there are other little boys and girls and you will have good things to eat and new clothes and a shiny white bed to sleep in how you like that yes sir replied tommy then continued the man perhaps if you're good you will be taken out to the country to live where there'll be lots of fun playing with other children do you know about the country jersey asked tommy well something like jersey said the man sir said tommy so the man took tommy to another building on another street a tall brick building here tommy's name was written in another book and another lady in a white apron and a white cap and long white cuffs 
took tommy up in an elevator tommy liked the elevator and everybody smiled at him and called him young man so he began to lose a little of his fear after tommy had been in the shelter for a good many days and had begun to get well enough acquainted with other little boys to tell them about mcginnis he was taken in a railroad train a long way from the city to a place where a big building stood with trees around it and a lot of smaller houses and buildings not far away the trees were all red and brown and yellow and the air was quite chilly but tommy had warm clothes now and didn't mind in fact he was quite comfortable and happy for his pale mother had been away from home or sick so much that he scarcely missed her now he was very young you know and did not understand about family ties what he did understand though was the heart warmth that a glad little bark can bring the great peace that comes when a little wet nose is pushed up under your chin so tommy cried a little in the morning sometimes when he woke up and remembered tommy was given to a gray-haired lady that was almost as big around as mrs o'brien but not nearly so fierce in fact she was a very gentle lady and she kissed twenty little boys good-night when she put them to bed tommy and the gray-haired lady and the other little boys lived together in one of the cottages near the big buildings in the other cottages there lived other groups of boys and girls of different ages in a big barn were horses and cows and pigs but in all this whole village of houses there was not a single little dog to play with not one the managers of our great orphanages are doing wonderful things in these days but they still have much to learn so tommy kept one thing in his heart that prevented him from being entirely happy otherwise it was pleasant enough when the weather got colder warm coats and caps and mittens and rubbers came from somewhere and there were great times in the playground after the snow fell then there was a wonderful room in the big building where tommy went for a little while each day and where all sorts of kindergarten lessons were taught and wonderful things were done with paper and scissors and blocks and a blackboard visitors came sometimes to this little place in motor cars one lady who wore very black glossy fur came to tommy's cottage quite often and one day she talked with tommy she was a beautiful lady with a soft voice and sweet smells about her and her fingers lay on tommy's head in an extraordinarily pleasant manner i forgot to say that tommy's cheeks had become round and pink and a sparkle had come into his blue eyes also he was always washed and combed and brushed now and seldom had smudges on his cheeks all this seemed to please the lady next time she came she stopped at the big brick building only for a moment and then had the chauffeur drive her right over to the cottage where tommy lived the chauffeur wore furs also and sat up on the front seat like a picture of a bear tommy watched him from the window the large gray-haired matron brought tommy down to talk with the lady she lifted him to her knee and smoothed back his hair with very soft hands and they became very friendly indeed tommy grew quite confidential and told the lady all he could remember about the street he had lived in and the fire escapes and mrs o'brien and the pale mother who was sick so much and the fat man with the white apron he kept putting off telling her about mcginnis because a lump came into his throat whenever he tried the lady saw there was something else to tell and finally she drew it out of him 
and the fat man throwed things and mcginnis jumped and he whistled like when i put the board up and we went up and down and mcginnis said wah 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 and but tommy could tell no more his lower lip was trembling and his eyes were all watery the lady put her arm around his shoulders and drew him closer and he put his face right down in the glossy black furs and cried when that was over tommy felt a great peace stealing over him it was good to be in this lady's arms he looked up into her face there were tears in her lovely eyes too tommy was quite surprised did you ever see mcginneth he asked no admitted the lady i never actually saw mcginneth next time tommy's lady came it was after sunday school and there was a man with her he had a red face and bright black eyes and said hm hm a great deal but he seemed more embarrassed than anything else and he and the pretty lady appeared to be very fond of each other he was not the sort of man to frighten one they both talked to tommy but the lady did most of the talking at the door as they were going the lady asked the gentleman a question that tommy could not hear sure the man responded seems to be a normal sort of a little beggar the lady seemed quite satisfied with that well the lady came again in a few days and took tommy away in the automobile tommy was rather sorry to leave the gray-haired matron and the other children but the lady asked him quite frankly if he would like to go and live with her and he was forced to admit that he would they went a long way in the automobile and the lady had plenty of time to tell him of lots of nice things he was to have the lady was to be his mother it seemed and he was to have a sunny room all his own to play in with white rabbits and black cats and pink pigs and roosters of all colors on the wall he was to have a great big box full of tin soldiers in blue and red coats and a man that sawed wood when you wound him up and a train of cars on a track and blocks to build a church with and and a little brown dog with a short nose and a short tail and a round head tommy looked up quickly at the lady and his lip trembled but he said nothing the lady didn't say anything more either but she took his hand and patted it a little she seemed to understand so that is the end of the story of tommy sweeney he went to live in a beautiful home where he had everything heart could desire he grew strong and happy and very very fond of the pretty lady and the red-faced gentleman fortune certainly smiled on tommy martin nay sweeney also it was very pleasant for the little brown dog with the round head but what of mcginnis the calico pup he did not suffer much in the area way for he had a warm place to sleep in and more or less to eat but there are other pains than those of the flesh he felt utterly forsaken and heartbroken and when he found the barrier down one morning he crawled over it and slunk out to the street he turned to the left and trotted along keeping close to the buildings till he came to the doorway where he had first found tommy sweeney and his bread mcginnis sniffed about the stone steps but discovered no friendly scent he entered the doorway and went up the flight of stairs to mrs o'brien's floor where he found the smell of cooking but nothing else on the floor above he found odors so strange that fear seized him again and he hurried back to the street quite convinced that his playfellow had departed forever 
he turned and trotted up the sidewalk without any particular purpose sniffing hopelessly at various objects as he passed along he crossed one or two broad streets hurrying aimlessly along between the human ant-hills that were now becoming more elegant till he came to the great thoroughfare through which the traffic of the world even then was passing all along the cross street humans had been coming out of doorways and here at the corner there were so many of them and they seemed so hurried and so terrible that mcginnis turned fearfully back the area was better than this it was at least safe so he retraced his steps crossing the broad streets amid grave perils till he reached the corner of his own and tommy's block he had forgotten all about the savage mob of young humans that had assaulted him the day he arrived but they were there one of them set up a cry that he imagined to be an imitation of the yelp of a dog another savage rushed at mcginnis with outstretched hands and a look of fiendish glee on his face thoroughly panic-stricken mcginnis dashed blindly out into the street to find himself hopelessly lost in a forest of great rolling and stamping things he tried to turn to avoid a big brown horse and something struck him and knocked him over one short yelp of pain and fright escaped him and then the wheel of a thundering truck rolled over him leaving a poor crushed unlovely carcass in the street the young savages stepped into the road as soon as opportunity offered with apparently some ill-defined intention regarding the remains but the policeman happening along dispersed them with his big foot he pushed the stiffening body of the calico pup up to the curb and went off to telephone to the board of health the high court of judgment was convened in the dog's heaven hundreds of dog angels gathered to witness the proceedings canine heroes the good and great ones of all time there were beautiful joe and rip van winkle's wolf patrash the dog of flanders big rab and even mother hubbard's poor dog there were sir walter scott's favorite camp j g holland's blanco enos a mills's scotch robert hitchens whisper and john muir's brave little stickin at one side stood jack london's terrible white fang as a sort of sergeant-at-arms grouped in a semicircle stood the heroes of the hospice of st bernard and on the high judge's seat was the st bernard berry who had saved forty lives of men on his right sat faithful galert and on his left greyfriars bobby in front bob son of battle sat with the book of record and the great gate of heaven was guarded by old dog tray presently a little scratching was barely audible without and there was silence and a pricking up of ears old dog tray lowered his muzzle and sniffed at the threshold again came the timid scratching tray turned his head and judge barry nodded rising on his hind feet tray swung open the ponderous portal and there entered with awed hesitation the shade of a little piebald pup with wondering frightful eyes and a long crooked tail tucked between his legs the door clanged shut and the little stranger stood cowering in the midst of the august assembly his eyes roved about in dumb pleading what was this new danger that threatened him was the harassed little spirit admitted here to be torn asunder by white fang and his powerful companions the calico pup sank back in the crouch of fear 
the name demanded judge barry in his deep voice mcginnis read bob son of battle from his book mongrel ten months old slain by a motor truck and the charges against him or bob turned the pages and read on september four nineteen thirteen stole one smoked herring from a box in the doorway of a grocery store on upper broadway new york any others asked judge barry no others answered bob are any virtues recorded one replied bob he loved a little boy there was a pause and some of the great dogs cast meaning glances at one another as though they understood about little boys is that all the history recorded asked the judge that is all the history recorded said bob son of battle and added he was very young judge barry consulted for a moment in a gruff undertone with gallert and greyfriars brobby and all the court awaited in silence the little calico pup watched the great st bernard with eyes of plaintive inquiry and presently the judge spoke the court finds said he that the virtues of mcginnis outweighs faults is therefore admitted to heaven then a wonderful thing happened to mcginnis old dog tray who had been standing beside him turned and licked the notched ear bob son of battle laid down his book and came forward with friendly wagging tail then came all the high court the st bernards and the heroes of song and story to offer their congratulations newfoundlands collies mastiffs and great danes even barry and the two associate judges descended from the dais and favored him with friendly caresses little mcginnis at first amazed and terrified soon perceived that all the great conclave was bent upon being friendly his tail came out from between his legs and began to wag violently he could hardly keep his forefeet on the ground then with a bark of unrestrained delight he went bounding off across the elysian fields with little steaking and a romping spaniel a disembodied spirit of pure joy the spirit of one who had loved and had done no wrong for of such is the kingdom of heaven End of story three.